Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, today this is going to be a little bit different version of Fraudology with an interview, and I am so excited for it. I have mentioned, and I've had a couple of other past guests too, mentioned that I am really lucky to get to host a group of, uh, it depends on the call, but usually 30 to 50 retailers a couple of times a month. And oftentimes we get to share information with each other. And sometimes it's more specific, sometimes it's not. I asked a few of those members if they'd be willing to have an additional conversation about false positives and, and false, well, false declines, insult rate. We kind of put them all together interchangeably to really educate each other as well as on the podcast. And for various reasons, they are anonymous as much as I would love to shout from the rooftops how smart and how much I've learned from all of them. Today is not that day because companies and all all those things, right? So we're just going to have a conversation. It doesn't matter who it is. Just know that these guys know their stuff. And then just to kind of level set when we talk about false declines or even false positives or insult rate, we're really talking about those orders that for usually a variety or a combination of reasons, your system, they either deemed them risky enough to go to manual review and your manual reviewer reviewed them and thought, okay, yep, this looks like fraud, I'm going to cancel it. Or your system is set up to auto decline orders to a certain threshold. And we know that as good customers start to look more risky and as risky <laughs> customers try to look not so risky, you know, we're just trying to avoid the third party fraud chargebacks, but every system is measuring fraud and risk in a different way. And really the job of a fraud manager, a big part of the job is to look at the accuracy of the rules within their system, the accuracy of the layers that they're relying on, the accuracy of the system itself and the different providers that you rely on, as well as the accuracy of your team and your processes. So no pressure there on anyone. And as I mentioned on Thursday's episode, when you start to do the math about how much one basis point is to your company, it can be kind of daunting, but you can realize, wow, we can really impact this a lot if we just look at the accuracy either on reducing our declines so that we're approving more orders that won't turn into chargebacks, or maybe our chargeback rate's a little high and we need to really focus on that piece. So I am just going to, without saying anyone's name, I'm going to welcome you all to Fraudology. There are six of you and we have code names that we've figured out. It'll just be a letter and each person knows their letter. So I'm just going to start off with, I think the biggest objection that I hear from merchants and we've learned in the survey too is, well, what's the point of measuring our false declines if it's never going to be perfect, right? We're never going to know every single order that we cancel that wouldn't have turned into a chargeback because how can you measure something that doesn't happen? So we're just going to trust our system. But what would you say to that if somebody said that to you? This is Z. So I would respond like with a kind of a recent example of digital order review when we had a, a promotion. So typically our, our review in digital order is a little higher because there's a lot higher fraud rate. So what we did was put together a list of, let's say, memberships or, or identifiers that said, hey, these are good digital orders in the past. They've had a lot of good past digital orders. So we'll give them a positive 
connection. And then when those ramp up of orders came through, we were able to push through a lot more orders in a much shorter period of time, reduce our review rate, rejection rate, and not increase our fraud rate. So, but that only comes from doing all that, that background investigation, pulling the data and then finding all those good accounts and, and then marking the, them up. Yeah. Right. And then hoping obviously that there's not account takeover on those accounts, but you have other right. ways of, of detecting that as well. Right. Of course. Yeah. And it doesn't override our, our fraud logic. So there are even orders that would still cancel even with those, those identifiers, but we can push a thousand orders out of review by just pushing some, it's hard for me to not be too specific here, but I know by not, by changing certain factors in our rules, we can, without overriding all of our rules, push through a lot of orders. So it, it's very valuable. I think it resulted in maybe like $2 million in orders being pushed through that maybe would have been rejected mm. beforehand and, and having no higher resulting fraud rate. Wow. Right. Because you did all the work ahead of time, knowing that a promotion's coming up and looked at, you know, who are all these accounts that could be, you know, deemed as risky possibly, but we know because of our own history with them that they're good. We're going to do that. And so then you, you reduced the number of orders because you looked at your false declines from the past. You were able to put that into the rules and be able to reduce that. Yeah. And, and we're continually doing that with, with all areas, but mm -hmm. looking for different ways to identify accounts that are good, just as much we're looking for ways to identify accounts that are bad. So mm -hmm. we create entire rules that just look for good orders, which right. push those through as much as we look, make rules that look for bad orders and knowing what our, I guess, insult rate or rejection rate or whatever you want to call it is, is the only way to really do that. Yeah. Right. Um, did you have something to add there as far as why you think it's important to do that or also knowing, you know, that it's hard. Was that a question for M? Yes, it was. Oh, yes. Okay. Sorry about that. All so right. uh, this, this is M. And the thing about false positives that I find interesting is that it, at least in my experience, uh, after doing this for many years at different places is that it's one of those metrics that comes in third generally, but it's very important. So it's like not the first thing you think about. It's something that you think about after you've started to really fine tune your performance. So in my case, I my mind immediately goes to acceptance rate and chargeback rate is the two most important pieces of our performance mm -hmm. uh, grouping with with false positives coming last. And what I find so fascinating about false positives is that you think about it in a very singular way. You can identify potential impact to like a customer's lifetime value. So just a single poor experience isn't only impacting that single transaction or loss of sale, but potentially that experience with that customer at your merchant and whether they may never come back and shop with you again. Now, that's something that's a bit more difficult to quantify. It's something that I've put a lot of time and, and thought into myself at various places to, to try to quantify. But that's one way I, of, of being able to talk about false positives isn't to talk only about the here and now, but also about the potential loss of 20 years of business at the very beginning of this person's journey or this person's experience with you as a merchant, you don't want to do anything that can jeopardize that. So it's, you can think about it in a here and now way, or you can think about it in a, in a larger way. I couldn't agree with that more. And actually, you know, every company has an LTV, right? A lifetime value of a customer. And it's not going to be specific to that customer, but that's their average. So that's one way you can do it. And I would go a step further, right? It's not just the transaction amount and the lifetime value. It's also the customer acquisition cost that your marketing team is really trying to strategize and 
get smaller and really be good at. Every time you're canceling an order that wouldn't result in a chargeback, that's basically throwing away money from your marketing team. No wonder they don't like us. And so then you think about that as well as you lose the opportunity to send them more sale emails. And then the other thing I would add too is I once heard a vendor at a conference, I'm not to give this vendor credit, but I thought that what they said was good. There's some irony there, but that's another story. They said that every time you cancel an order, that wouldn't be, that's for a true person, right? That uses their own credit card or their mom's or, you know, whatever we can prove they won't turn into a third party chargeback. You're essentially referring them to your competitor for life. It puts a lot of weight on it, right? So we show the importance, but it's hard to do. It's hard to, like I said, it's hard to measure things that don't actually happen. So kind of, you know, moving the conversation along, along, you know, does anyone want to start with kind of, you know, how you look at them or what you've considered or what, what you do now or what you consider to even try to identify? Because obviously, if you knew at the time that these orders weren't going to turn into chargebacks, you'd approve them. So how do you go back in time or what are you measuring, right? To say, okay, we know this is our current false positive. And to me, like just, to, you can go a little bit further. You're so right that most people will, you know, prioritize their chargeback rate and their approval rate as they should. And at different times of the business, one of those should be a little bit higher than the other. Hopefully it's the approval rate, but at times it has to be the other one. But, you know, as far as priority and, and looking at it that way, you can have a mindset of, we all know if you start out as an analyst, the mindset of, I want to look at this order to have it proved to me that it's good versus I want to look at this order and have it proved to me that it's bad. So yeah, me, that, and that's, that's yeah. so true. That's so true. And that's actually one of the things that I, I've always tried to, to sell to people that I, have to, that I speak with leadership. Mm-hmm. That's not about identifying the bad, the good can far outweigh the bad. Yes. And bringing your acceptance rate up by single percentage point, that could be tens of millions of dollars. It could far outweigh. Yes what that incremental improvement and chargeback rate would be in terms of dollars. And really, that's why I think, and I agree with you, the acceptance or approval rate really is almost the more important metric when you think about it. And as it relates to false positives, if you're not thinking about it in that way, then false positives becomes a bigger problem. If you're already really trying to like push the boundary of accepting orders, then just by looking at the numbers, you're going to have a lower false positive impact. Right, yeah. Because your your number one goal, your main goal is to approve as many transactions. It's that mindset of, I'm going to look at this order and I'm going to make it prove to me that it's fraud. Otherwise, I think it's good. I used to tell my team when I managed a fraud team, feels like it was like five decades ago, but the, the bad guys don't pay your paychecks, right? The orders you cancel, that doesn't pay our paychecks. That doesn't pay our stock. That doesn't go towards our bonus. But on the flip side, you know, chargebacks are very real too. And that's why... To me, false positives are about your accuracy because it's almost like it's not exactly the different. It's not exactly the middle between chargebacks and acceptance, right? Because hopefully a lot of the orders that you're canceling are truly fraud and you are avoiding chargebacks. And so it, w- it wouldn't be that if your acceptance rate is 95% and your chargeback rate is 1%, your false positive rate is going to be 4%. That wouldn't make any sense. But it is that kind of that middle ground of how good are we at either one? And that's why I think it's important. So how are you guys? Yeah, please. Hit hit for me. It's history is everything, right? So if this person has placed this order so many times before or similar items, then of course, we're going to send it through. But 
if this is the first time they've ever shopped with us and we're going to give them a chance. But if it's like a super expensive item or something, you know, we're hesitant. But the other thing that I always look for when sending something through or declining it or denying it is would be, well, these other confirmed fraud orders that have recently come through for the same item Mm -hmm. both have this similar factor. And that factor, whether it be like the monitor size that they're using to place the order or something mm-hmm. even just crazy. We'll look for the craziest things yes. we can find that are similar. And then at that point, we throw them in a bucket for our analysts to review. So they're not just mm. getting declined. We're saying, hey, take a look at these because other orders that are very similar were confirmed fraud. So why don't you just take a look and then make a deciding factor? Just dig a little bit deeper. Don't automatically deny it. You know, so that that's something that we like to do. Sometimes for manual review, you need that human context, right? Because, I mean, just using that example of monitor size, well, there's also millions of people that probably have the same monitor size, right? But what are those other things, right? And the whole basis of fraud prevention is it's not about one factor. It's about the combination of factors. And some factors outweigh others, right? So there are a couple that if you saw this one thing happen, you'd be like, I feel pretty good about saying this is fraud. But if fraud was easy to spot at the time of transaction, we wouldn't have a job and we wouldn't need to invest in more tools and everything else. So it really is a science, right? It's a perfecting of the science. And if you aren't looking at the accuracy of the tools you use and of the processes and decisions that you make as a team, it's this continual tightrope. I think we use this, I think we use this analogy a lot, but it's true, right? If we go a little bit to the right, we're going to fall off in one direction. We go a little bit to the left, we're going to fall off in another direction. And neither one is good for the business and or for our team or anything else. And so, you know, knowing that to M's point, you're not just talking about the current transaction right now, that $500 purchase, you're thinking that, you know, because a lot of times most of the orders that are canceled are for new customers, right? Or their guest checkout. So you don't know what their history, or maybe you have some, you know, ways of, of tying it together, but you don't know for sure if that's the same person or not. So, you know, you don't have the, the history that an account would have. There are some companies that require account sign, but others, you know, it's all guest checkout. So, you know, because of account takeovers, there will be factors of cancellations of existing customers, but for the most part, they're new. So what are some of the things that you look for when you're thinking about, are we canceling too many orders? Are we declining too many orders? Are, do you have something to add there? Yeah, I I do. I would say that it can be challenging to get a real read on this number. Oh yeah. Um, Just because of the inability to deduplicate some of these cohorts. So suppose we have customer A who we know is fraud. We canceled that order. That's a true fraud cancellation. And they go, they come back and they try three more times on that account to place an order. We can deduplicate those from our cancellation rate. Right. But if they go, if they spin off a dozen more accounts trying for the same item, that's going to cause a spike on our cancellation. Right. 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 Different cards, different accounts. That's going to cause a spike on our cancellations Mm -hmm. that we can't necessarily tie back to, to, to cohort A unless we do a full link analysis. And those kinds of spikes can be very meaningful when we're looking at this data. And when I look at our cancellation rates, it's a really jumpy signal. Mm, yeah. Like it, it may jump wildly from, from day to day. And that's when we really have to dig in and see, okay, what actually happened today? Mm, right. Is our system picking up on something that is deduplicated and it's the same person who are trying to use as many things that aren't duplicated, that aren't the same, right? So they're not using the same name. They're not using the same address. They're not using the same, all those things. So is, is it that and all 12 of these orders are fraud or is it just that we have a sale or there's a promotion or there's an affiliate that's running a promotion that we don't even know about for our site that we 
that could be causing some of the similar behaviors and have them look like fraud and look risky because all of a sudden you see a spike in this weird, unusual behavior for your site doesn't always mean it's fraud, right? So then that's a really good point. You see a spike in your cancellations and you go, hmm, what's going on here? Does it mean that we have a new attack? Or is it a group of new customers who have never used us before who have weird behavior because all of a sudden our marketing department or our affiliate, you know, has offered something that we didn't know about, has done a campaign in another part of the world that we don't usually see business from, things like that. Like it's it's constantly changing, right? The landscape is changing. And so it is your job. And in my opinion, your companies are very smart to hire people who know this industry because too often a lot of companies, you know, they just think, oh, I put in a vendor. I don't, I don't need to hire a headcount. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you, benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. But that's the purpose of your headcount, right? Is to make sure you're holding the solution provider accountable. You're holding the business accountable. How are we doing things, you know, to be able to ensure that our accuracy is right? We're canceling the right orders, but we're proving the, the right ones too. I also think for, for teams that do manual review, it's an important training tool. And yes. how I know for us, how we are notified is by our customer service reps. You know, if somebody goes in, we are strictly manual review and we do not do any auto declining. So for us, we use it as more of like a training tool. And if you mm. see a spike with a certain analyst with higher number, you can just go back and start to see where, you know, where, where you need that extra attention. Are you looking at quality assurance too? Are you able, do you have the bandwidth to go back and 
look at orders. It can take a lot of bandwidth of a team when you're, you know, all manual yeah. review. And and every company is a different size and every company has different things to consider. And I, I know that I happen to know that your goal is not to have it be that way forever. But right now, that's the way it is. I mean, sometimes it can be helpful to say, let's at least decline the things that are so obvious, right? And let's at least approve the things that are really obvious. And then pay attention to the gray. And depending on the size of your company and the resources, that size of the gray can can fluctuate. But you're primarily working with customer service. And when somebody calls back in, I assume you have a process though, right? Because obviously yeah, we do. sometimes fraudsters can call too. Right? Yeah, we have a process in place. But also merchant M talking about the value of your customer. It's the first time they're coming to your site and you cancel their order error, you're pissing that customer off and the chances that they're going to come back to you are going to be slim. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to make sure that we do our due diligence on the back end. That's good feedback about you know, looking at accuracy and for feedback for manual reviewers, for analysts. I first managed a smaller team and then I worked on a larger team. And the larger team kind of had this hunch. Like, so a group of ma- us managers went and they were like, have you guys noticed that when we like the after you give an analyst like this was just like huh and then we went and looked the data have you guys looked at after you coach your analysts on their monthly performance and you show them the chargebacks you know the, the orders that they passed that turned into chargebacks do you see that their cancellation rate goes up higher and they're declining more orders and it's like yeah but do you on the opposite side when we coach them on like hey we know for sure this was a false positive and here's why you know, this or that. It has a similar effect, but not as much. And so we ran some tests, not telling the analyst that. So knowing, okay, this is Tuesday the 3rd was the day that this analyst had their review and they were shown the the chargebacks that they missed. And then let's watch their, the amount of orders that they passed versus decline. And it was like, almost like a, like a perfect curve. Like from the second they were told about chargebacks, their cancellations would go up. And then like, as each day would go, it might go a little bit down. And so we noticed like, oh, that's why we have higher sales at the end of the month, not the beginning of the month, because we're giving everyone's performance at the beginning of the month. And that actually, one of the things that we did there was let's try to make sure, because at the time, the company was more focused on chargebacks to M's point, right? So they're focused on that. They're like, let's also show them, let's put more emphasis on the orders that they passed that, or the orders that they canceled that should have been passed. And let's not tie that directly to their raises or their KPIs either, right? Let's do it more as a percentage and not, or a team, you know, group think rather than specifically. Because if someone's like, oh my gosh, I've lost the company $20,000, of course, you're going to be more stringent and more more concerned. That you know makes perfect sense. So I think actually one of the good things with the, you know, with chargeback reviews, we can actually mm-hmm. see the trends, right? And we can actually notify our analysts when they're reviewing orders, hey, watch out for certain trends. But to your point, yeah, this actually does increase the cancellations because they're afraid to right. get that chargeback. But I guess the best thing that we can do when we're, you know, speaking with our analysts is just not have them be so held up on getting a chargeback, but right. using it as like a, a learning a opportunity. A hundred percent. And I'm very aligned with you on the importance of learning from chargebacks because that is a feedback loop. The problem with trying to measure false positives is there is no feedback loop unless you're doing it with measuring, if you're able to measure the calls that come into customer service and then they go through re-review or on Thursday's episode, I'm going to be sharing a few like more automated ways that some merchants have found to, especially for larger merchants, to be able to measure these in a way that's a little more automated, you know, and that can give you a little bit more of a feedback loop. But that's the problem, right? There's, you know, that's why we talk about this so often. 
is we know it's important. We know we need to measure something, even if it's not going to be perfect. But how do we keep getting better rather than just trying to stay under a certain percentage or over another one, right? How do we keep trying to reduce the gap between approvals and chargebacks? And I was just going to add really quick, this is Emma again, that we, what we've done or what we've tried is incorporating team averages. So mm. sort of anonymized team averages. Yep. Uh, and we have a team, we're fortunate that we have a team that is seasoned. Like we have some new folks, but some folks that have been for here for several years, different levels of experience. And because of that, our average is pretty accurate in terms of like what is normal or abnormal. And we're also very really push our our analysts to keep an eye on their own numbers for chargeback rates or acceptance rates. And then we provide them with mm. what average are. Yeah. I'm glad you set that out because that's actually what we did at the bigger team that I work on as well. Is we did it more as a, a team average and then your own percentage compared to the rest. Mm-hmm. And it's still good to see those exact orders and go, hey, so I know this looked like fraud at the time, but actually this and this doesn't, you know, or having a senior analyst or a manager go back and look at, you know, 1% of every order that your manual reviews each analyst canceled or 1% of all the orders that your system canceled to be able to look at that, you know, to QA it and go, hmm. Now that I've had a day or does it look like, because sometimes they can keep trying, trying, trying. Okay, well, that tells us it probably was fraud. Or maybe they keep trying and trying with different information and they're not fraud because they're just trying to get their orders through. And we can generally see the difference. But sometimes you need those seasoned eyes to be able to look at those. And so just having a person do that too when you have the resources is really helpful. I had a feeling this was going to happen. We are almost out of time. But if anyone has anything that they want to add, I would love to do this again, especially for those of you who didn't, you know, to share as much today on on this topic. That's fine. Hopefully you found value in it too. But is there anyone that wants to add any last thoughts about this topic for people that are listening or, okay, I get, you know, just on the topic of false declines, we talk about it all the time. Like what are some other things that, you know, you share with your peers that you'd like to share here? P, do you have some thoughts? Yeah, I think one of the things people should do is go to chat.openai.com and just write it up. Why do you need to measure false positive? And it gives you an awesome result for you to prepare for your team leadership. Because like it's really, and what we just talked about is summarized there. So that would be like one quick nugget. Hmm. And I'm really excited that you said that next episode, you're going to talk about how to do it. And believe me, it's not easy. And hence, you have to segment your population, right? You have to mm-hmm. segment the, put in the right controls so that it's not utilized, like you're talking about velocity attack, right? So you have to put some upper limit or caps there. Mm-hmm. And then you have to also understand how you're going to use the feedback back to whether it's yes. your manual review, back to your data scientist, because it's like checks and balance there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it right, Right? It'll be just another number, like Mr. M said, right? Yes. And you don't, don't want it to be another number. You want it to be read out every meeting, read out to your mm-hmm. supervisors, to your bosses, to your big bosses, including C-Staros. Yeah. Right? And then once they start seeing it, I mean, believe me, it that becomes care about it. fun to yes. ask about resources for this. Hey, yes. I get XYZ resources, I can enable millions of dollars and boom, then you become an enabler as a risk team, not the bad guys. Oh my goodness, you're just killing the business. Hmm. Right. It's the whole thing that we often try to strive to, those of us who are veterans in this industry. 
of not being seen as a cost center and instead being seen as a profit center. That's This is one really good way to do that. And so I'm really glad that you added that, that it's not enough just to get a number, right? It's not enough to measure it. It's about how do we loop that in, just like with chargeback data, just like, okay, we now know that these orders really, you know, when we look back, they really were third-party fraud. We need to make sure that we tag the model, that we train the model, that we or set rules depending on the system that you use, because there will always be more orders that will look just like this, especially if it's charged back, but because they'll find that opening in that hole. But even for false declines, right, there's always going to be more like that. So looking at not just the rate, but what are those orders that make up that rate? What are the things that made our system and our analysts think that they were risky? But what were those things that made them not risky? And how can we ensure that if another order looks just like this next time, that it doesn't become another false decline? Because that's really the purpose of measuring your false declines. A, to know the accuracy, but B, how do we do that? And if you look and you're like, huh, our system has no way of looking at that because we doesn't have enough details. It doesn't have enough information. Okay, well, what extra layer do we need to add? What extra component? Or do we just need to look at a whole other system? And, and there's more companies thinking about that now than there ever have been before for really this reason. So that's why I keep bringing it up. Well, guys, I cannot thank you enough. The time always flies. I mean, we true. I mean, truly, we've actually all been on the Zoom call for two hours, at least for total. And at least for me, it doesn't seem like it. You, but time always flies when we are together. But thank you so much for giving your time and some of your experiences. I hope you'll come back. We need to do another honest call like this again, or I can get to brag about you specifically, however that works. I just really appreciate and enjoy learning from all of you. And we'll talk to you soon. Wasn't that such a good conversation? I just wanted to hop on and thank those retailers again for allowing you all to eavesdrop a bit on that conversation and for their time to talk about that. I am so lucky to get to host and facilitate conversations like that quite often, but it's not often that they can be shared publicly. So I really appreciate that. And I thought that it would be helpful as we talk about false positives last episode, and then I'm going to do it again on Thursday and share, you know, what you can do about it, right? What are some kind of next generation options that you can do to measure it, to improve them, to learn from them? Because guys, I'm not going to lie, seeing the results of the survey, which you will soon, very soon, hopefully in the next two weeks. And Shoshana Marini, the co-author of that report, will be on the podcast with me hopefully in two weeks from today. And we'll share them more in detail. But seeing the approval rate and the false positive results, which I did share on Thursday, but I'm holding back on the approval rates because they deserve a lot more time to talk about. And I want to do that with Shoshana, but it really just opened my eyes that this is a topic that we need to discuss, that we need to be aware that we can't just trust whatever a fraud system says. We need to always be improving. And they're going to go on the side of caution. They're going to err on the side of caution. But there's so many benefits to measuring this false positive rate, to getting it right, even though it's hard, as these merchants talked about. But they also talked about how it was worth it. And looking at metrics and understanding what they mean and what's behind it is a big part of that balancing act for fraud leaders between making sure that you are protecting your company as much as possible, but not protecting them at a cost, a cost of canceling a lot of orders that are legitimately good, that could be future customers, that could add to your revenue, that could add to your bonus, that could add to your stock price. And it's not just about you, right? That could add to your company. So I just wanted to thank all of them again. I'd love to do that again, uh, but I'd love to hear from you what you thought. 
do you still get value hearing these merchants talk when you don't know who they work for? I certainly think you do, but I'd love to hear from you. The next 200 episodes of Fraudology, I want to bring more voices to the forefront. And I want to find a way to do that that allows more voices to come that may not be able to say where they work because of their own company policies. But you can still get so much value and learn from them without that. So I would love to hear if that was as fun for you as it was for me. And I'll look forward to speaking with you on Thursday where I'll dive more into some of the more next generation options for measuring false positives, false declines, and then also what to do with that information, right? How to then reduce that that number and that percentage. That really should be the goal. All right. Well, I look forward to speaking with you on Thursday and I hope you have a good week. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.